Uh, Saints, in this message, we want to cover something very important. And you can see the title of this message is Taking the Lord's Yoke. And the Lord's Yoke here is the Father's Will. And we want to take the Lord's Yoke, the Father's Will, upon us and learn from Him to find rest for our souls. Now, what I would like to do is read to you Roman number one, which is our main text, and then give a brief introductory word to put this in the context of God's eternal economy and God's eternal purpose, which uh, I would just like to say to you personally, just as, as a brother, this was brand new light to me when I considered this. Now, uh, we'll come to Roman number one. The Lord says this, he says, come to me, all who toil and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, is light. Now, the, uh, it's amazing, the context of these verses, if you look at verses 20 through 23, the Lord was, he was rejected by three major cities, three major cities. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember what they are. One was Capernaum, Bethsaida, and I forget the other one. But there, if you look, there's three major cities that he was rejected by. Now, uh, if we had gone out on an evangelistic endeavor and we were rejected by three cities that we thought we were sent to, we would probably be very disturbed. But the Lord only cared for the Father's will. He extolled the Father for his will. He said, I extol you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. So whenever we listen to a message, especially something like this, we want to be the infants, the, 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 uh, the little children who are open to receive new thoughts from God, new revelations from God. Now, what I would like to point out here is this word rest, rest. Re this word rest is a big word in the entire Bible, in the entire Bible. And actually, we can say this, the goal of God's economy is rest. Now, you may wonder, well, how could that be? Well, I'll just share a little bit with you, and you'll see the goal of God's economy is rest, or we can say the Sabbath rest. Now, after we know that uh, when God was um, doing some recreating and some re restoring and original creating of the universe that in, in uh, you know, he finished most of what he had to do in six days. Um, and every time he created something, it says God saw that it was good. Now, if God says good, that means it's really good. But after man was created, 
uh, on the seventh day, God said, this is very good, very good. In other words, God was very, very happy uh, for a particular reason. And I'll, I'll share that with you here uh, just in, in a minute. I've got, I've got some notes here that I would briefly like to go uh, through with you. Now, we know that when God created man, he created man in his image, and he said, let them have dominion over, you know, over many things, over all the earth. So, God's eternal purpose is that man would have God's image to express him, and that man would have God's dominion to represent him to reign in him, with him, by him, and through him. So these words, image and dominion, are great, great words in the Bible. Now, if we look at Genesis 2, 2, and 3, it says, On the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Well, why did God rest on the seventh day? It's because he finished his work. And his, the pinnacle of his work was to have man as his expression and man as his representation to have dominion over all the earth, especially to reign in life over Satan, sin, and death, and to be filled with life to express God with his glory. That is God's eternal purpose. That is God's goal. That is God's economy. And so the goal of God's economy is for God to have rest. God only has rest when he has a man expressing him in his image and representing him with his dominion. So again, uh, verse 3 of Genesis 2 says, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So what we see here is that God's seventh day was man's first day. It's very important. God worked, and then he rested. But man rests, and then he works. Because man's first day was a day of rest. Then man worked. But God worked, and then rested. This is a very, very important principle that we'll see in the outline. Now, in Deuteronomy 12, 9, this verse points out to us that the good land is God's rest. It says in Deuteronomy 12, 9, you have not come to the rest and to the inheritance that Jehovah your God is giving you. So Deuteronomy 12, 9, in, God, in God's sight, this verse tells us that the good land was God's rest, and the good land is also our rest. And, of course, we know the good land 
typifies the all-inclusive Christ as the all-inclusive Spirit with His unsearchable riches for us to partake of, enjoy, and be filled with so that we can be His full expression and His full representation with His dominion. Now, in Hebrews 4, uh, the Lord through Paul says this. He, he says in Hebrews 4, 8 and 9, he says, uh, if Joshua had brought them into rest, he would not have spoken concerning another day after these things. And then in verse 9, he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there's a Sabbath rest for us. We're the people of God. We need to enter into this Sabbath rest. And we will see this Sabbath rest is actually the all-inclusive Christ as the all-inclusive Spirit for our supreme enjoyment so that we can express him in his image and represent him with his dominion. Now, um, uh, let, let me just say this, and I, I would refer to this to you. I'll come to it later. But uh, if we could, uh, maybe after the message sometime, if we could look at Hebrews 4, 9, note 1. It's a marvelous note. Uh, I'll read some of that note to you, which is very important. Now, let me just make these statements. Here's one statement. If we would have the proper understanding of the Sabbath rest in Hebrews, we need to know the significance of the first mention of the Sabbath rest in the Bible, which we read in Genesis 2, 2, and 3. So, again, this points out that the, that the desire of God's heart is to have man on earth expressing him and representing him. And, and secondly, when there is a situation on earth in which man expresses God and represents him, that situation is a Sabbath rest to God, is a Sabbath rest to God. So this is why, of course, this is as members of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says we need to do everything to the glory of God. That is God's expression. In Romans 5.17, uh, we need to receive the abundance of grace, which is the abundance of God as our enjoyment, so that we can reign in life, which is to reign specifically over Satan, sin, and death. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we should glorify God in our body. Philippians 1.20 says that we should magnify Christ in our body. So again, this is God being expressed through us and being represented through us with his dominion to rule in us, to rule over us, and to rule through us. Now, um, let me say this. Um, the Sabbath rest in Hebrews 4.9 is Christ as our rest, typified by the land of Canaan. We pointed this out. Now, the main thing with the good land was that the temple was built in the good land. And what we need to see from this is that the temple was the ultimate consummation of the entering into the good land 
by the children of Israel. With the temple, God could have his expression. With the temple, God could have his representation for his kingdom, government, and administration. So when God, again, when God is expressed and represented, there is satisfaction for both God and man. This is true rest. This is true rest. Now, I would like to read to you just a portion of this footnote uh, from Hebrews 4.9, which is very enlightening. It says this, Christ is rest to the saints in three stages. The first stage is this, in the church age, the heavenly Christ, the one who has expressed, represented, and satisfied God, and who rests from his work, and sits at the right hand of God in the heavens, is the rest to us in our spirit. Now, if you look closely at this note, the verse that is referenced here is Matthew 11, 28, and 29. And that is our main text, which shows that we need to experience Matthew 11, 28, and 29 to enjoy Christ as the rest to us in our spirit in the church age. Then if we, if we do that, that will usher us into the millennial kingdom after Satan has been removed from the earth, God will be expressed, represented, and satisfied by Christ and the overcoming saints. Then Christ with the kingdom will be the rest in a fuller way to the overcoming saints who will be co-kings with him and share and enjoy his rest. Now, I think many of us realize that this is why the Lord brought us into the Lord's recovery, so that we could be his overcomers, we can be his overcoming bride, to enjoy him as our rest in this age, so that we can enjoy him as our rest for a thousand years. Eventually, that brings us to the third stage of Christ's rest, rest which is this, in the new heaven and new earth, after all the enemies, including death, the last enemy, have been made subject to him, Christ, as the all-conquering one, will be the rest in the fullest way to all God's redeemed for eternity, for eternity. So, you have these three stages of Christ as our rest. Now, what we're going to talk about in this message is the first stage of Christ as our rest, which is the, the, the church age that we're in. If we don't enjoy Christ as the rest in our spirit in this age, we will miss out on enjoying him for a thousand years as our rest in the kingdom age. And that's the Lord's recovery is for the producing of the overcomers who are the constituents of his overcoming bride who fully express him with his image and represent him with his dominion by being filled to overflowing with him as our life, as our perfect peace, and as our full satisfaction. So we want to concentrate on this first part in the church age. We want to enjoy Christ as the rest 
to us in our spirit. I hope that just from this brief word, uh, you get something from this. I, I could share a lot more on this, but if you look at the note uh, on Hebrews 4.9, you'll see more. You'll see more. But personally speaking, I had never, I've read Matthew 11, 28 to 30 for many years, enjoyed the notes, enjoyed it very much, but I never, this word rest really hit me this time. And it's the first time that I connected this word rest with the goal of God's eternal economy, with what God desires. And so when the Lord says rest, uh, our attention should be raised because he's our Sabbath rest. And the only way we can enjoy him as our Sabbath rest is to express him by being filled to overflowing with him, being conformed to his image, and by being filled with him again as the divine life so that we reign in life over Satan, sin, death, the self, the flesh, and every negative thing. This is God's eternal purpose. This is the goal of God's eternal economy. So again, Roman number one, I think that we all are touched by this word, and I would say even right now, let's come to the Lord in a fresh way. He says, come to me, all you who toil, and are burdened. You know, many times, many times, even in the church life, we find ourselves toiling and being burdened, uh, which we'll see from the note, uh, it, it, uh, we shouldn't have this feeling. We shouldn't have the feeling. If we do, uh, something not right inwardly. Because if we come to him and we're toiling and we're burdened, he promises to give us rest. We can say rest is Christ as our perfect peace and Christ as our full satisfaction. So every day we need to pray, Lord, be my perfect peace today. Be my full satisfaction. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, in the title, we pointed out that the Lord's yoke is the Father's will. What we need to take upon us is the Lord's yoke. And the Lord's yoke is the Father's will. Then he tells us to learn from him. Just like in Ephesians 4, 20 and 21, it says that we're supposed to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus, which means we actually learn him as a person according to the actual condition of his life as recorded in the four Gospels, in which he solely did the Father's will. So he goes on. He says, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, you know, saints, we realize this. Maybe we take a break and uh, we go somewhere. Uh, to, we, need, we need to rest. But we may not have rest for our soul. Uh, Sometimes people take a vacation, and they come back, and they need a vacation from their vacation. The real rest is the rest for our souls. 
Now listen to what the Lord says here. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now what he's saying here is that the Father's will is easy. The burden here is the work to carry out the Father's will. He says, my burden is light. Now, if, we're, if we are carrying out the Father's will, we think we're carrying out the Father's will, and it's not easy to us, it's not mild to us, it's not gentle to us, it's not smooth to us, we've got the wrong yoke on. We don't have the Father's will on. If the work to carry out, if our work is not light, it, it's heavy, we're overly burdened. Sometimes we feel this way. We've got lots of things we're serving in the church life. But we have to realize, if we're genuinely uh, picking up the Lord's burden as the work to carry out the Father's will, that burden will be light to us. It will be L-I-G-H-T to us. All right, let's go to A. A says, to toil here refers not only to the toil of striving to keep the commandments of the law and religious regulations, but also to the toil of struggling to be successful in any work. Whoever toils thus is always heavily burdened. So, of course, religious regulations, uh, that would be a terrible toil, but we could also be struggling to be successful in our, quote, quote, work for the Lord. Now, uh, those three cities, I, I would like to mention them to you. I, I wrote them down here. They were Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And the Lord went there. He was rejected by all three of them. But uh, when he returned, uh, what you, you can see that what he cared for was not having a successful work, but what he cared for was carrying out the Father's will, the Father's will. And so this is the way we need to be. We need to be one with the Lord in our spirit, and let him live through us to carry out the Father's will in us, with us, by us, and through us. Now, B says this. B says, after the Lord extolled the Father, acknowledging the Father's way and declaring the divine economy, he called this kind of people to come to him for rest. Now, Matthew eleven twenty-five through 27 is very interesting. Verse 25 says this. It says, at that time, you know, when he got rejected by those three cities, it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said. Well, if you look at the footnote and you just read this, who was Jesus answering? There was no one there for him to answer. Someone, some invisible person asked him a question, and he answered it. And who was that person? That person was the Father. You can look at the note. It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I extol you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for thus it has been well-pleasing in your sight. So again, what the Lord was ultimately concerned with is the Father's will. And saints, uh, in, in our times with the Lord, in our personal time with the Lord, in our corporate times with the Lord, whether we're just two gathered together, whether it's a vital group, whether it's a larger meeting, whether it's a ministry meeting like this is, we all need to exercise our spirit to be poor in spirit. Not to have a poor spirit, but to be poor in spirit. That means we're empty, open, and unloaded to receive a new revelation of Christ and a new revelation of his economy. Luke 10, 17 is very uh, powerful verse. The Lord says this, he says, except you, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you shall by no means enter into it. So the only way we can receive the kingdom of God, live in the reality of the kingdom of God, and enter into the millennial kingdom of God is by being like a little child to the Lord. In other words, a little child is always empty and open to receive a new thought. That's how little children are. Like my, I, I told this story before, my youngest boy, who's much older now, we went on a walk together and he was looking up at the sky and he said, Dad, how far away is that star? <laughs> of course, I'm not an astronomer. I didn't know how far away the star was. All I knew was, I think this is right, is that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So it's possible that what we see there, because light travels so fast, it's not really there. I just told him, listen, Danny, that star is so far away that we, we can't even imagine how far away it was. I couldn't exactly answer his question, but it showed that he was open. He was open to receive whatever thought I, I gave him. So I, you have to be careful with a little child because they'll receive what you say. But thank the Lord we can be like little children with the Lord because we, can, we know that what he speaks is the truth of the triune God, right? All right, now we come to C. C says rest refers not only to being set free from the toil and burden under the law or religion or under any work or responsibility, but also to perfect peace and full satisfaction. Now, the first thing is, we need the Lord to set us free. And, and I think, uh, saints, and again, I'm just speaking from our experience as brothers and sisters in the church life, lots of times we get bound. We, we just feel, I've got to do this service. I've got to do that service. This service. We'll come to this in a little bit, this thought. And we need a jubilee. We need to be set free from all our toil, all our burden. 
all our work, all our responsibility. We'll see, we want the Lord to do his work in us, with us, and through us. We want him to bear the responsibility in us, with us, and through us. But I also enjoy this. Rest refers to perfect peace and full satisfaction. I would just like to ask you, saints, wouldn't you like to have perfect peace right now? Perfect peace. That's 100%. That's not 99 and 9 tenths. Perfect peace and full satisfaction. Only the Lord is our perfect peace and full satisfaction. Now, Watchman Nee told a story that I really liked. He said, you know, when there's a hurricane, of course the hurricane can be really big and it spins, you know, in a very broad path and it spins violently. But in the center of that hurricane, there's perfect peace. There's, there's, there's just calm. Well, what, what Brother Nee pointed out is our, our environment, our situation, our living, our family life, what, whatever, our, our life being a single person, our environment can be like a hurricane. We have to get to that eye of the storm. In that eye is perfect peace and full satisfaction. And that eye is our spirit, is Christ as the spirit who is in our spirit. And Christ as the spirit is the reality of the good land. He's in our spirit. He's our perfect peace and full satisfaction. Now, let's go to D. D says, to take the Lord's yoke is to take the will of the Father. We have to remember this. To take the Lord's yoke is to take the will of the Father. It is not to be regulated or controlled by any obligation of the law or religion or to be enslaved by any work, but to be constrained by the will of the Father. This is what we have to focus on. The person living in us, whom we love, he just cares for this one thing. He cares for the will of the Father. And every time we contact him, every time we enjoy him, spontaneously, effortlessly, he will live through us to carry out the Father's will. Now, he goes on and says, The Lord lives such a life, caring for nothing but the will of his Father. And we have all these verses from John to show us. It's very precious verses. Then it says, He submitted himself fully to the Father's will. Hence, he asks us to learn from him. Now, let me just say this uh, firstly where it says he submitted himself to the Father's will. And, of course, he was obedient to the Father's will. Saints, we need to see this and we need to realize this. This has been a great encouragement to me in the past few months, is that the Lord has given us his life of submission and obedience. Because I always wonder, well, how can I submit? How can I obey? Well, I have a life inside of me that is a life of submission. That's Christ. I have a life inside my spirit that is a life of obedience. 
That's absolutely wonderful. So when we enjoy Christ as our life and our spirit, we are enjoying a life of submission and a life of obedience. Now again, all these verses in John talk about the Lord coming down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. That's John 6, 38. Now I'd like to give you another example of this that these verses aren't in the point. But if you look later at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38, in these verses, the Lord is in a home. And uh, he's speaking to people. He's healing people. And uh, a lot of people are gathered around this home. Well, he, he wants to spend some personal time with the Father. As a man... He always spent personal time with the Father to fellowship with the Father so that he would be absolutely one with the Father to carry out the Father's will for the producing and establishing of the kingdom of the heavens. So these verses tell us that he went out and went away to a deserted place and there he prayed. Now, he was in such a deserted place that it says the disciples hunted for him, H-U-N-T-E-D. In other words, they really had to hunt to find out where he was. They hunted for him. And uh, when they found him, they said, Lord, the whole city is gathered together at the door, the whole village, the whole city. Well, if that had been us, we would have said, well, Let's go back to that house or that house and let's take care of the whole city. You know what the Lord's response was? Uh, I'll just say four words. He said, let us go elsewhere. Let us go elsewhere. Because I've been commissioned to preach the good news, you know, to all these cities. The point is this. The Lord was not governed by the environment, even a good environment, didn't dictate what he did. What he was governed by was the Father's will. So he, after he prayed early in the morning, after he got infused with the Father's up-to-date will, he said, let us go elsewhere. I really love that. Now, in Matthew 26, I've got these verses here. This is, these are the verses which show us how, how the Lord prayed in Gethsemane. And we know he prayed three times. And he said this, he said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he prayed this three times. And, um, you know, uh, in this text, when he came back after the first time, he found the disciples sleeping. And uh, he said to Peter, he said, weren't you able to watch with me for one hour? And he said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I've always been touched. Maybe this is a little sidebar. But the disciples, they were actually, they were 
Exactly the opposite of the Lord. When the Lord was agonizing in Gethsemane, they were sleeping. When they were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a big storm, they were just so uh, worried, so upset. They said, we're drowning. What was the Lord doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. He said, oh, you have little faith, right? So you've got just the opposite there, right? In our natural man, we're the opposite of the Lord. So the Lord prayed this prayer three times. And then, of course, Judas came with, with a band of, 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 uh, of opposers to arrest the Lord. But what we see here is that, again, in his humanity as a man, through the Lord's praying three times, he realized that the cup where he says, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He realized that the cup, first of all, the cup is the cross. Secondly, that cup is God's will. So we can say the cup equals the cross, and the cross equals God's will. This is a great light to see this. The cross is God's will. So um, you can read some of Brother Lee's writings. He said your spouse is God's will. In this sense, she's the cross to you, and you're the cross to her. Uh, that's not uh, in a negative sense. That's in the positive sense of being terminated, of, of allowing yourself to be terminated by the Lord. Actually, the church is God's will. So in this sense, we can say the church is the cross. The church terminates us. The church kills ourselves. So again, the cup is the cross, and the cross is God's will. Now under E, one says, the believers copy the Lord in their spirit by taking his yoke, God's will, and toiling for God's economy according to his model, according to his model. Of course, in 1 Peter 2.21, it says this. It says, Christ left us a model that we might follow in his steps. Now, there are, there are many Christians, you know, and I don't fault them for this. Thank the Lord that the Lord brought us into his recovery, right? And we have his up-to-date ministry. But many Christians, they read this verse and they say, well, what would Jesus do? if he were in this situation. Well, that's not the way we should follow the Lord. We have to copy the Lord in our spirit by taking his yoke, which is the Father's will. And we have to do this according to his model. Now, this word model in 1 Peter 2.21 literally means a writing copy, a writing copy. And what that means is, is that if you were a child, they would put the writing copy here. Here's the actual copy. Then they would put a sheet of paper over that writing copy, and you would trace the letters so that you would get an exact reproduction of the original copy. That is what a model means. So what this means is that the Lord wants us to become his reproduction. 
not only personally, but especially corporately, he wants us to become a reproduction of himself as the original model of a God-man and of one who lives the life of a God-man. All right, now uh, let's come to two. And two uh, says what I said earlier. The Lord, who was submissive and obedient to the Father throughout his life, has given us his life of submission and obedience. To me, saints, again, I underline this, has given us his life of submission and obedience. Just turn to your spirit. You feel, oh, I can't submit to this brother or to this situation. I can't obey the Lord. Well, when you genuinely enjoy the Lord in your spirit, you turn your heart to him, you contact him in your spirit, then spontaneously you will live him out as a life of submission, and as a life of obedience. Of course, we see this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that the Lord became obedient even unto death, and that death was the death of the cross. That person lives in us. The one who was obedient to the Father in everything lives in us. So we have his life of submission. In Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, these verses tell us that the Lord, in his humanity, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, now, just think about this. The Lord, we know, in eternity past, he was God in his divinity, but he put on humanity, uh, something that had not yet entered into the divine sonship. His humanity entered into the divine sonship in his resurrection, and he became the firstborn son of God. But when he was on this earth, he had to learn obedience. Isn't that wonderful? He actually learned obedience through sufferings. Now, that learned obedience is ours in our spirit. Especially, I would say, and we're all passing through the tunnel of transformation Regeneration is like this. Transfiguration is like this. Transformation is a long tunnel. And involved in that tunnel is sufferings. Now, when we're in that tunnel of transformation with sufferings, we need to be one with the Lord to learn obedience, to learn him as obedience. Okay, now we come to three. Three says Christ was the first God-man, And we are the many God-men. We have to learn of him in his absolute submission to God and his uttermost satisfaction with God. Again, I really love the utterances in the ministry. These words, absolute submission to God. We can enjoy Christ in that way. And uttermost satisfaction with God. Not just satisfaction with God, but uttermost satisfaction with God. Now, 4 says, God is doing in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ that we may be able to do his will. This is Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. 
So praise the Lord, God is doing something in us. And what he's doing in us is something that's well-pleasing in his sight. Uh, And he does this through Jesus Christ that we might be able to do his will. So he does in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight to give us the divine and mystical ability to do his will. And then after the semicolon, uh, we almost quote Philippians 2.13. and says, God operates in us both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. You may feel like you're just not willing to do God's good pleasure. Uh, maybe the Lord is moving in you to migrate somewhere or to carry out a certain thing. And you don't, you find that in your natural being, you're not willing. Well, you can pray, God operate in me the willing for your good pleasure and operate in me the working for your good pleasure, which is the carrying out of the willing. All right, now we come to F. F says, to be meek or gentle means not to resist opposition. And to be lowly means not to have self-esteem. Throughout all the opposition, the Lord was meek. And throughout all the rejection, he was lowly in heart. Now again, the only way that we can be like this is to, is to live this person out, is to enjoy this person, is to live this person and to allow this person to live through us for his magnification. Now, we go on to G. G says, he submitted himself fully to the will of his father, not wanting to do anything for himself or expecting to gain something for himself. And saints, we need to pray, Lord, uh, make me a person who's pure in heart, uh, who just has the goal In other words, our only goal should be Christ himself. Even in this meeting, what is our goal? Our goal is to touch Christ, to enjoy Christ, to be filled with Christ, to see Christ, to gain Christ, to be gained by Christ, and to express Christ. He is our goal. He is our goal. So we shouldn't expect to gain anything for ourselves in the church life. Because the only thing in the church life is Christ. We want to gain him. So it goes on. Hence, regardless of the situation, he had rest in his heart. He was fully satisfied with the Father's will. Now, H goes on. The rest that we find by taking the Lord's yoke and learning from him is for our souls. It is an inward rest. It is not anything merely outward in nature. Just like we pointed out, you can be in an environment that may be seemingly restful outwardly in nature, but you can be very disturbed inwardly. The real rest is an inward rest. It's a rest in our soul. Now I will go on to I. I says we learn from the Lord according to his example, not by our natural life, but by him as our life 
in resurrection. And we've pointed that this out. We have to learn by Christ as our life in resurrection. Now, if we go to Jay, Jay says the Lord's yoke is the Father's will, and his burden is the work of carrying out the Father's will. To me, that's a great light to see that. You can read those verses in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, without the help of the Lord's uh, up-to-date ministry, we wouldn't know what the Lord's joke and what his burden is. But it's very clear from the note, from the ministry, and from the Bible, that the Lord's yoke is the Father's will, and his burden is the work of carrying out the Father's will. Now listen to this. Such a yoke is easy, not bitter. So we have to remember the Father's will is easy. It's not bitter. If we, if we feel any bitterness, we have the wrong yoke on us. And the work to carry out the Father's will is light. It's not heavy. It's not heavy. Now, um, when we talk about the Father's will, I, I would just say this. Uh, when we're talking about the Father's will, I would make this statement. And listen to this statement. I wrote this down. It says this. God's only goal in time is to dispense himself into us day by day. That's his only goal. That's his will. His will right now is to dispense himself into all of us today. And he wants to do that day by day. That's the carrying out of his eternal economy. Now, Kay says, the Greek word for easy, where it says his yoke is easy, his will is easy, means fit for use. Hence, good, kind, mild, gentle, easy, and pleasant. I would like to ask you, when you're serving in the church life, is your, does your service, do you have a good feeling inside? Do you have a feeling of kindness, of mildness, of gentleness, of easiness, of pleasantness? If you don't, you're not uh, taking the Lord's yoke upon you, which is the Father's will, because his yoke is easy. It's not hard. It's not harsh, it's not sharp, and it's not bitter. Now, this always reminds me of Malachi 3.14. This verse is not on your outline. You may want to write this down because the footnote of this verse is very, very good and very enlightening and convicting. What this verse says is that the children of Israel, they had certain duties uh, in their service to the Lord. But while they were carrying out their service to the Lord, Malachi 3.14 says they walked mournfully before Jehovah of hosts. What that means is that they did their service. They did their duty. But they did it merely out of obligation. They did it mournfully. In other words, they weren't at all happy that they were required to do these things. And sometimes we can find ourselves in that situation. We should never walk mournfully before the Lord when we're serving him, when we're carrying out his will. Now, L says, 
if we take the Lord's yoke, the Father's will upon us, and learn from him, we will find rest for our souls. The yoke of God's economy is like this. Now listen to this next sentence. Everything in God's economy is not a heavy burden, but an enjoyment. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral 2. There are three significant Roman numerals in this outline. This is Roman numeral 2. Roman numeral 2 says, in Exodus 31, 12 through 17, after a long record concerning the building up of God's dwelling place, there is a repetition of the commandment to keep the Sabbath. According to Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Christ is the reality of the Sabbath rest. He is our completion, he is our rest, he is our quietness, and he is our full satisfaction. Now, because Exodus 31, 12 through 17 is the main text for this portion, I would like to read it to you because it will refer back to this. It says, Jehovah spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, You shall surely keep my Sabbath, for it is a sign. Notice the words, a sign. A sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Jehovah who sanctifies you. Sanctifies is a big word. Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. This is important. It is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to Jehovah. That means the Lord wants to be our complete rest today. Every day he wants to be our complete rest. Now I'll go on. It says, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. In New Testament terms, this is spiritual death. Now, verse, uh, the next verse is verse uh, 16. It says, therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. This is a perpetual covenant to keep the Sabbath. And then the Lord says again, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, Jehovah made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. This is the only portion in the Old Testament that says, uses the word refreshed when it comes to, to the seventh day. Not only did God rest, he was refreshed. So God's seventh day was man's first day. God entered into, man entered into God's rest, man entered into God's refreshment. So before we do anything for the Lord in our service, we need to enjoy him first as our rest and as our refreshment. We'll see this as we uh, read through the outline. Now, A says, the fact that the insertion concerning the Sabbath follows the charge for the building work of the tabernacle 
indicates that the Lord was telling the builders, the workers, to learn how to rest with him as they worked for him. Now, have we learned this? Have we learned this? I would say we're learning this. We need to learn how to rest with the Lord as we work for the Lord. B says, if we only know how to work for the Lord, but do not know how to rest with him, we are acting contrary to the divine principle, to the divine principle. Anyway, we, uh, we, should, we should never do this. Now, one says, God rested on the seventh day because he had finished his work and was satisfied. God's glory was manifested because man had his image and his authority was about to be exercised for the subduing of his enemy, Satan. As long as man expresses God and deals with God's enemy, God is satisfied and can rest. Of course, corporately, we want to express God corporately. That's the ultimate goal. As the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, we want to express God and we want to deal with God's enemy. But even personally, as a member of the body of Christ, we want to express God every day. And we want to live Christ so that Christ lived out through us can deal with God's enemy. Then God is satisfied with us and God can have rest with us. Now this is why, saints, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, I've always wondered what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we put him on? Well, actually, it's right there in the footnote. I discovered this within the last year. It's right there in the note. And what the note says is that to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to live by Christ and live out Christ thus magnifying Christ. So we live by Christ, we live out Christ, and we magnify Christ. We extol Christ. We enlarge Christ. And that magnification of Christ becomes our clothing of Christ. It's really quite wonderful. All right, now under B, we covered one. Uh, now we'll come to two. Two says later, the seventh day was commemorated as the Sabbath. Now, this is important. God's seventh day was man's first day. Three says, God had prepared everything for man's enjoyment. After man was created, he did not join in God's work. He entered into God's rest. This is why we spend time with the Lord in the morning. Because we, before we go out the door and serve the Lord, we must enter into God's rest. Firstly, we must enjoy the Lord first thing uh, in the morning. It is a necessity. Now, um, we come to four. Man was created not to work first, but to be satisfied with God and rest with God. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
She says, uh, now let, I'll just say this. Um, with our spirit, we take in God. With our soul, we express God. So I would make this statement. Taking in God and expressing God should be man's joy and amusement. What's our joy? What's our amusement? Why are you watching this video right now? It's, people might come in and say, why are you sitting there watching this person speak on a screen? It's because uh, Christ is your joy and Christ is your amusement. So taking in God, which is taking in Christ, and expressing God should be our joy and should be our amusement. Now C says, in, in six days Jehovah made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. One says, the Sabbath was not only a rest to God, but also a refreshment to him. You know, brothers and sisters, just to use a common human example, uh, let's say you're a carpenter and you build a chair. You accomplish something. Then after you do that, that chair becomes a rest to you. It becomes a refreshment to you. Even you'll sit on the chair. So it'll be a rest and refreshment to you. I know that, you know, one of my, you have, we all have different functions. One of my functions is to compose outlines. And uh, I know that by the Lord's mercy and grace, uh, after the Lord works in me and lives through me and an outline comes out, um, I, I just, uh, and an outline comes out, I'm full of rest. I'm full of refreshment. I say like God said, very good, very good. Of course, everything on that outline comes from the ministry. Now, two says, God rested after his work of creation was completed. He looked upon his handiwork at the heavens and the earth and all the living things, especially at man, and he said, very good. He said good for everything else. But for man, he said, very good, because man satisfies the desire of his heart and the goal of his eternal economy. Three says, God was refreshed with man. God created man in his own image with a spirit so that man could have fellowship with him. Man, therefore, was God's refreshment. Man was God's refreshment. Four says, God was a bachelor before he created mankind. Now, why can we use that word bachelor? We can use the word, quote, quote, bachelor, because when we come to the end of the Bible, we see that God has a wife. Well, if he has a wife, before he had that wife, of course he was a bachelor. So that's not, it shouldn't be an offensive term. God was a bachelor before he created mankind. He wanted man to receive him, to love him, be filled with him, and express him to become his wife. So that's why Paul said that he was jealous over, over the Corinthians with a jealousy of God 
because he betrothed them to one husband to present them as a pure virgin to Christ. What I am always thankful for, saints, is that the ministry we are under is a betrothing ministry. Every time we get under this ministry, it betroths us to Christ. It stirs us up to love Christ. It stirs us up to say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I never knew to say, Lord Jesus, I love you, until I came to my first meeting in the church life. And, uh, you know, just we should say, Lord Jesus, I love you. It should be one of the first things we say when we get up. Now, in Ephesians 5.25, it says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So on the one hand, we love Christ. On the other hand, he's the church loving Christ. So when we love Christ supremely, we will be one with him to love the church as by enjoying the church loving Christ. All right, now we come to, uh, let me finish the rest of four. It says, in eternity future, God will have a wife, the new Jerusalem, which is called the Lamb's wife. I would like to emphasize this, that the new Jerusalem is not a place. The new Jerusalem is a person. I believe I even wrote an article for Affirmation and Christianity affirmation and critique on this point, that the new Jerusalem is a person. It's a great light to see that. We are becoming the new Jerusalem. We are building the new Jerusalem. Okay, now um, let's come to five. Or, you know, Genesis 2.22, of course, is is a wonderful type. It says, Jehovah, he put man to sleep, which which is a type of Christ's death on the cross, being put to sleep on the cross. Sleep is a type of death. Uh, And the Lord's side was opened, and blood and water came out. Well, Adam's side was open, and a rib came out. No blood, just a rib. Blood didn't come out because there was no sin yet. So just a rib came out. That rib matches in typological significance the water that came out of the Lord's side. That rib signifies the uncreated, eternal, flowing, resurrection life of the triune God. So it says, Jehovah God built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. So what is God doing in this age? He's building a woman. We're that woman. We're his wife. And uh, it's interesting. The Hebrew word for man in Genesis 2.22 is ish, I-S-H. The Hebrew word for woman in Genesis 2.22 is isha, I-S-H-A. So we can say isha is the issue of ish. And, and so it's very, very significant. Okay, now let's come to five. Five says, man was like a refreshing drink to quench God's thirst and satisfy him. When God ended his work and began to rest, he had man as his companion. Six says, to God, 
The seventh day was a day of rest and refreshment. However, to man, God's companion, the day of rest and refreshment was the first day. Man's first day was a day of enjoyment. Now, we're coming to a point here that's very important. D says, it is a divine principle that God does not ask us to work until we have had enjoyment. You must enjoy the Lord. Every day, you have to pray, uh, even uh, in Philippians 3.14, when Paul said, I pursue toward the goal. The footnote says that the goal there is the fullest enjoyment and gaining of Christ. That should be our goal every day, is the fullest enjoyment of Christ, the fullest gaining of Christ. This is our goal. So every day, we have to enjoy the Lord if we're going to work together with the Lord. Then it goes on to say, after a full enjoyment with him and of him, we may work together with him. Which 2 Corinthians 6, 1, Paul says, working together with him. Which shows that we are God's co-workers. But we can't be God's co-workers unless we are God's enjoyers. Okay, let's come to one. One says, if we do not know how to have enjoyment with God, how to enjoy God himself, how to be filled with God, we will not know how to work with him and be one with him in his divine work. Man enjoys what God has accomplished in his work. So again, saints, every day, I would just say this in a simple way, you know, for, I can think of the book this is in. Every day, consecrate yourself to simply enjoy the Lord. To enjoy the Lord. Say, Lord, I give my spirit, soul, and body to you to enjoy you to the uttermost today for the building up of your body, for the preparation of your bride, and for the bringing in of your kingdom. Now, two says, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were filled with the Spirit, which means that they were filled with the enjoyment of the Lord. Because they were filled with the Spirit, others thought they were drunk with wine. And in Acts 2, 12 and 13, it says that the crowd, they were amazed and perplexed. Some of them said, what does this mean? And others jeered and said, they are full of new wine. But actually, they were right. They were full of new wine. They were full of Christ. They were enjoying Christ as the new heavenly wine. And we need to enjoy Christ as the heavenly wine day by day. Okay, now we come to three. Three says, actually, they were filled with the enjoyment of the heavenly wine. Only after they were filled with this enjoyment did they begin to work with God in oneness with him. Pentecost was the first day of the eighth week. Therefore, concerning the day of Pentecost, we see the principle of the first day. Four says, with God, it is a matter of working and resting. With man, it is a matter of resting and working. E says, in doing God's divine work to build the church, typified by the work to build the tabernacle. 
We must bear a sign. Notice this verse, a sign. I read that from the verses. We must bear a sign to indicate that we are God's people and that we need him. Then we will be able to work not only for God, but also with God by being one with God. We, by being one with God, he will bear our, be our strength to work and our energy to labor. So when we enjoy God, he becomes our strength to work. He becomes our energy to labor. Uh, you know, in my natural man, in my physical life, I don't have much energy. But whenever, right now, I have Christ as my energy. And so we need to take the Lord as our energy every day to labor together with him. We can see this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, where Paul said his burden was to present every man full grown in Christ. And he said he was struggling according to God's operation, which operated in him in power, in power. So he was taking the Lord as his energy. Now one says we are God's people and we should bear a sign that we need him to be our enjoyment, strength, energy, and everything so that we may be able to work for him to honor and glorify him. Two says the Sabbath means that before we work for God, we need to enjoy God and be filled with him. Peter preached the gospel by the infilling God, the infilling spirit. Therefore, Peter had a sign that he was God's co-worker, and his gospel preaching was an honor and glory to God. We should aspire to this, to be the same as Peter was. Now, three talks about bearing this sign again. As God's people, we must bear a sign that we rest with God, enjoy God, and are filled up with God first. Listen to this. And then we work with the very one who fills us. Furthermore, we not only work with God, but also work as those who are one with God. That is really marvelous. For says, in our speaking to God's people, we must always seek to bear a sign that our Lord, as our strength, our energy, and our everything for ministering the word. You know, I have 2 Corinthians 13, 3 here, where Paul says, he talks about the Christ who is speaking in me. If you go to 2 Corinthians 2, 17, Paul says, we speak in Christ. So on the one hand, Paul spoke in Christ. On the other hand, Christ spoke in him. I love that. That is incorporation. Uh, one person is speaking in another person. And then this person is speaking in that person. We speak in Christ. Christ speaks in us. That is the sign, a sign that the Lord is our strength, energy, and everything for ministering the word. Now, as says, keeping the Sabbath is also an eternal agreement or covenant which we pointed out in those verses, that assures God that we will be one with him by first enjoying him and being filled with him. 
and then by working for him, with him, and in oneness with him. Now listen to this. One says, it is a serious matter to work for the Lord by ourselves. That's a serious matter. And that is a very terrible thing, to work for the Lord by yourself. We never want to do that. So it's a serious matter to work for the Lord by ourselves without taking him in and enjoying him by drinking him and eating him. So every day we need to take him in by eating him as our spiritual food, drinking him as our spiritual drink, and then as one of our hymns says, the overflow of life is work. The overflow of the life that we enjoy is our work with the Lord. Now two says this, It says, as Peter was speaking on the day of Pentecost, he was inwardly partaking of Jesus, drinking and eating him. Jesus, the Sabbath is also a matter of sanctification. When we enjoy the Lord and then work with him, notice these these ways we work, we work. We work with him. We work for him. And we work by being one with him spontaneously we are sanctified, separated unto God from everything that is common and saturated with God to replace everything that is fleshly and natural. H says, in the church life we may do many things without first enjoying the Lord and without serving the Lord by being one with the Lord. You know, may the Lord May the Lord have mercy on us. May we not uh, do anything in the church life without first enjoying the Lord and without first being one with the Lord. We we must do this. Uh, That kind of service, if we have a service where we don't first enjoy the Lord and where we aren't one with the Lord, that service will result in, in spiritual death, and it will result in the loss of fellowship in the body. And we don't want this to happen. Now finally, I, of Roman numeral 2, says everything related to God's dwelling place leads us to one matter, to the Sabbath, with its rest and refreshment of the Lord, of the Lord. In the church life, we are in the tabernacle, and the tabernacle leads us to rest, to the enjoyment of God's purpose and of what he has done. And again, that rest comes from being filled with him to express him in his glory, in his image, and to represent him with his dominion by reigning in life with him over Satan, sin, and death. Now, in Roman numeral three, what we want to concentrate on is this word burden, burden. And uh, it's the same verses from Matthew 11. Roman numeral 3 says, The Lord's yoke, the Father's will, is easy. And his burden, I circled that, his burden, the work to carry out the Father's will, is light. We must always serve with a burden from the Lord. Sometimes we serve and we don't have any burden. We should have a burden from the Lord every time we serve. 
If we go to serve, whether it's with the young people, the community, and our vital group, in, in speaking in any way, ministering the word in any way, at any time, we need to pray, Lord, infuse me with your burden. And then give me your utterance to release that burden. Now, A says, an open spirit to God is the condition for receiving burdens from God. We must learn to receive burdens and release burdens through prayer and our intimate fellowship with the Lord. And all these verses are very precious. I don't have time to read them. I hope you would read them. Uh, you know, of course, these particular verses are on, on prayer. Now, B says, listen to this point. The revelations that the prophets received were the burdens that they received. If you don't receive any revelation, you have no burden. So the revelations that the prophets received were the burdens that they received. Listen to this. Without burden, there is no ministry of the word, no prophesying for the building up of the church. If you come to a larger church meeting and you prophesy, you speak for the Lord and you speak for the Lord, you should speak with a burden. You shouldn't just be reciting things from, from, your, from your mind. There should be a burden deep within your spirit that gets released, you know, through, through, through your enlightened mind and by your speaking. Now, um, we, we have a lot of verses to prove this. Listen to what Isaiah 1.1 says. Isaiah 1.1 says the vision of Isaiah, okay? Then we come to Isaiah 2.1. It says the word which Isaiah saw. So you have the vision of Isaiah, then you have the word which Isaiah saw. Then Isaiah 13.1 says the burden which Isaiah saw. So you have the vision, the word, and the burden. They're all synonymous. How do you get the vision? You get it from God speaking to you. And then God speaking to you imparts vision to you. That vision becomes your burden. In Isaiah 15, 1, uh, it talks about the burden concerning Moab that was imparted into Isaiah. In Zechariah 12, 1, it says the burden of the word of Jehovah concerning Israel. I won't read any more, but Zechariah had a burden from the Lord because he received a revelation and a word from the Lord. Malachi 1.1 says the burden of the word of Jehovah to Israel through Malachi. Again, saints, we, we desperately need the Lord to speak to us corporately and personally so that we receive an up-to-date word for, from him for that particular time that particular place, and that particular situation. Then that word is our vision, and that vision is our burden from the Lord. Now, one says, our burden is to release God's revelation to man. And God's revelation is released through the words of revelation that God gives to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16, Paul says, we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So the Spirit reveals things to us, 
and we speak with words taught by the Spirit. Two says, when we minister the Word of God, our concern must be whether we have God speaking, not the topic of our speaking. In order to have God speaking, the one who ministers the Word must have a burden. So Malachi 2.7 says that we should see that the that a priest, and we're all priests in God's New Testament economy, people should seek instruction from our mouth because we are the messenger of Jehovah of hosts. Just like in Revelation uh, 1, the end of Revelation 1, the messengers are the stars in the churches. In Revelation 2, 1, it says to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, all the epistles were addressed to the messengers. That means if there's no messenger, there's no word to the church. Who is a messenger? A messenger is someone who has a fresh message from the Lord to his people. So we should pray, Lord, today I want to experience you as my messenger and as my fresh message. Okay, three says those who minister the word of God must bear people's condition before God, sense their condition, and know what God wants to speak. C says the greatest problem in the administration of the church and in the ministry of the word is not having a burden from the Lord. One says without a burden, all our activity will be dead and ineffective. With a burden, we will be living and flourishing. I'll just give you a small testimony. Uh, you know, when I first moved to Anaheim, I would sit, sit next to Brother Lee frequently. It was just the way it worked out. And Brother Lee was very burdened for the prophesying meeting. And after one meeting, he said to me, he said, Ed, I'm concerned that the prophesying in the church meeting is becoming a form, a form. I said, well, Brother Lee, how can we prevent this? And he said, Brother Ed, anything we do without the exercise of our spirit is a form. That really touched me. So everything we do, we have to do with the exercise of our spirit. Otherwise, our activity is dead and ineffective. When we exercise our spirit, to receive God's word, his vision, we get a burden that our work is living and flourishing. Two says, having a burden deals with us the most. If there is a burden, the self decreases and is dealt with because there are things that our burden will not allow us to do. And there are areas that will require our being dealt with before we can release our burden. You know, just like I, I had a burden for this time. And that burden dealt with me. Uh, there were things that my burden wouldn't allow me to do today. Maybe, I, maybe they weren't sinful or anything, but my burden said, don't do that. Don't do that. I didn't want my burden to be decreased in any way, you see. And there are areas that will require are being dealt with before we can release our burden. Three says, 
If we serve according to obligation, instead of serving with a burden, such service will cause us to lose the Lord's presence. And we got Deuteronomy 4.25 here, which speaks of the children of Israel languishing in the land. And there's a wonderful note on that Hebrew word for languish. And it means the loss of spiritual freshness. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray, Lord, keep me fresh. Let me have the freshness of your presence every day until I go to meet you. Uh, We don't want to lose our spiritual freshness. You know, I love Deuteronomy 34, 7, which may not seem like an enjoyable verse, but I interpret it in a New Testament sense. It says this, Deuteronomy 34, 7. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor had his freshness left him. Now, in the New Testament, your eye is your heart. Your eye is your heart. Your eye has to be single. That's your heart. Our our heart should never be dim. Our heart should be full of light, full of light, crystal clear. We should be pure in heart. And our freshness should never leave us. Uh, I remember Brother Lee saying one time, he said, I get concerned. I get inwardly concerned if I'm not fresh with the Lord, if I don't have the freshness of his presence. We should be the same way. Okay, finally, five says, the building work of the tabernacle and all its furniture, typifying the work of the Lord to build up the church, should begin with the enjoyment of God and continue in intervals with the refreshment by enjoying God. This will indicate that we do not work for God by our own strength, but by the enjoyment of Him and by being one with Him. This is to keep the principle of the Sabbath with Christ as the inner rest in our spirit, again, for His full expression and for us to represent Him with His dominion on this earth, which is His eternal purpose and which is the goal of his eternal economy. That is taking the Lord's yoke, the Father's will upon us, and learning from him to find rest for our souls. To me, this is wonderful. I hope you enjoyed this.